I think my, my angels often wonder what direction I'm going in. So. But, uh, but although it looked small, I felt like the Lord said, don't despise the day of small beginnings. And especially with some of the entrepreneurial things, I began to see a God giving you new strategies for evangelism to the city of Raleigh. And in effect, God putting a new song in you that's going to touch the city. But this morning, I want to break that down. I don't want to talk about the big picture. I want to talk about you as individuals and couples and families. That, uh, you know, uh, it'd be nice if we could honestly say, if you have enough faith, you're never going to experience spiritual warfare. You're never going to experience tribulation or trials. But that would actually not just be unscriptural, be anti-scriptural. And we don't have time to develop all that, but, you know, I love the quote that says it's in the difficult times that it's opportunities for God to prove his faithfulness to us. And there's just so much to be learned as we examine the life of Jesus. But I want to say that it's not just normal, average men and women like you and me, but sometimes we look at some of the superheroes of God and we think, wow, they must be always on it. They must be always perfect, never doubting. But you know, it says in James that even Elijah, the man who prophesied that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, and that was fulfilled, then he called down fire that consumed his all, uh, offering, and he had the false priests and prophets of Baal killed. And then he prophesied that it would rain, and the rains came, and that drought that had devastated a nation, it, you know, there was refreshment, healing came to the nation spiritually and practically, economically. But it says that even he had moments where he ended up in a cave, a cave of loneliness, a cave of fear, a cave of possibly despair. And it says in 1 Kings 19, starting in verse uh, 2, but it says that after he had had the false priests and prophets of Baal killed, the ones that Jezebel, the evil queen, uh, the queen of Ahab, that uh, she was, they, they were her, basically, you know, her deal. But it says she was so angry, she sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them, meaning you're going to be killed by this time tomorrow. And then Elijah, this great man of God, it says in verse 3, then he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. And in verse 9, it says, then he came to a cave and he lodged in it. The word lodged, as you know, it's kind of an old-fashioned phrase, but it means he camped out there. He was stuck there, and he didn't even have his servant with him. He was completely alone. And for the sake of this message, I want to identify three sorts of caves that we can sometimes end up in. One cave I call a cave of anxiety. Maybe we're worried about we're not going to be able to measure up, we're going to lose our jobs, or maybe a relationship is going to bail on us. It could be about what's going to happen to the economy, all sorts of things. But if you live for a long time in that cave of anxiety, it can actually get worse. And it can lead to, lead to what I call a cave of depression. And depression, you know, you can fully believe in the promises of God, but there's that stronghold worn against you that somehow makes you think, yeah, they're true for everybody else, but maybe I've messed up too much or I'm too hopeless. And if you live long enough in that, it can live in, you can end up in the worst cave of all, which I call a cave of hopelessness. 
And about two months ago, I sent out, we have a, an e-list uh, that we send out once or twice a year, sometimes prophetic words, to about 500 leaders internationally. And I sent one out about two months ago with a word that I called the preemptive demonic warfare against leaders and Christians right now. Because I believe God is preparing the body of Christ for so much in the next few years, but there is coming a preemptive warfare, just as Herod commanded all the male babies to be killed there before Jesus could even grow up. And of course, obviously, that didn't happen to Jesus. But there is just an onslaught of emotional, psychological, and sometimes circumstantial warfare right now coming against the body of Christ. You may have read about this about a month ago now. A young pastor, 30 years of age, in Northern California. Everybody thought so highly of him. He was pastoring a large church, just uh, great teaching and preaching, always buoyant, always encouraging, always upbeat. He committed suicide. And nobody saw it coming. And even his, he left behind a wife and two or three young children. And even his wife, who he told that he was battling with depression and hopelessness, even she didn't understand how torqued he was, how locked us he was in that stronghold of the enemy. In my home church, uh, we've got something like 50 home groups, but uh, just about three months ago, one of our home group leaders, a young man who was just very buoyant, very encouraging, always smiling, had a wife and two young kids, and just had a seemingly a great future ahead of him, just passionate in his love for God and other people. He committed suicide. And even his best friend that uh, a lot of us know very well, who's in leadership as well, even he didn't know the depths of that cave of hopelessness he was living in. And today I want to talk about not just recognizing that there are these caves, but that God wants to lead us out of them, just as Elijah was led by the Lord out of them. And I want to say this to you from the outset, that the problems that can cause us to be anxious, the problems that can cause us to be depressed, the problems that can sometimes overwhelmingly fill us with hopelessness, the problems are not the problems. The problem is we're not experiencing the light of God's presence to see past the problems. You've all heard the phrase, in the kingdom of God, it's not always what you know, but it's who you know. But I want to say to you this morning, in the kingdom of God, it's not always what you see, but who we see. And I think in the church day, we need to reexamine that old great hymn, Be Thou My Vision. Not just focusing on the blessings and the breakthroughs, but realizing that God Almighty, He is our portion. The problem is not the problems. The problem is a lack of vision. And, you know, I was in thinking and preparing for this message, I looked at what Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica, and historically it's known that in the early days of the church of Thessalonica, they experienced severe persecution. And it was known that if you gave your life to the Lord Jesus, if you began to witness about Christ, if you began to proclaim Christ, there was a very good chance you could be locked up, you could be tortured, even killed. But Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, and he said, You received the word with much affliction, but with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is reinforcing this understanding that the problem is not the problem that our God, greater is he who's with us 
than he who is in the world. Greater are the promises of God than the lies and the threats of the evil one. When uh, my wife and I were, uh, we lived in Toronto, Canada for six years. We had gotten to know John and Carol Arnott in 1991 doing ministry in their first church in Stratford. And they asked us to uh, possibly move from San Diego where we live, where we'd begun our ministry in 82, our international stuff. But they said, Mark, would you pray about coming to Toronto, being part of our leadership team and contributing as you, when you're not traveling? And in my mind, I thought, are you crazy? Why would I leave Southern California? It's got one of the best climates in the world and come to this place where you have snow, you know? You know, I, I like a place you can ride a motorcycle 12 months a year. And that's just, that's written in the book of Mark, by the way. But... Uh, you know, we prayed about it, and the Lord uh, spoke to me. He spoke to my wife, and I, I shared it with the other leaders we worked with. They all felt it. And so we moved in May of 1992 to Toronto. And uh, we had this thing set up where John and the church back in Toronto, they sent out one of the pastors on staff with us, Dale Bolton. He flew out. And he and I were going to drive this big old box truck, Ford box truck, about a 20, 22-foot truck with all of our household goods, take six days and drive it from San Diego to Toronto. My wife and two daughters at the time, they were going to fly. And so it's Friday night. Dale is arriving Saturday morning, and we've got this whole crew coming to box up our truck. And then Dale and I are starting the journey Sunday morning. Friday night, late, my wife and daughters are asleep. I went into a little office we had in our home there. And, you know, we knew God had spoken. I knew God had spoken to me, to my wife, to the leaders I worked with. We knew God was in it, but yet we had a lot of questions. And so I, I locked myself in there for a couple hours and just sought the Lord. And over about two and a half hours, the Lord spoke to me six things that he was going to do in the first six months move. Blessings to our family and blessings to our ministry. And the very first thing he said was, I'm going to give you supernatural traveling mercies on the journey. So my first instinct was to say hallelujah, but if I'd had any brains, I would have thought, wait a minute, that means there's going to be problems on the journey. So we had bought this old Ford box truck from a friend of mine who owned a cabinet business, is about 20 years old, and we'd had a mechanic supposedly do a tune-up. He said, yeah, it's roadworthy. If I could get hold of that guy today for just about five minutes in a dark alley, I would lay hands upon him. But anyway, so we get the truck loaded up, and it's about 8 o'clock in the morning. We live in North Center County. We start the journey, and first you spend about 30, 40 minutes going up some grades on the 15 freeway, and then you start coming down the hill to Temecula. And so we're about 30 minutes into the journey going up the last hill. All the power goes out in the truck. And I go from fourth gear, and the only thing, the thing could only do 55 miles an hour to begin with, but we go from fourth to third, third to second, now about eight miles an hour creeping up the hill, and then we coast down the hill, take an off-ramp, we come into Little Temecula, this little commercial industrial, there's nobody there. Now, there's a myth that all men are born knowing what happens inside an engine, Dale and I knew absolutely nothing about car truck engines, but we did what guys do. We popped up the trunk, we climbed up on this big bumper, and we're standing there looking at it intently. It was like it was a Chinese book, and I'm trying to read it, you know. And we're, you know, I'm thinking, thanks a lot, God. 
And there's nobody there, but down the street, all of a sudden, there's this guy that looked kind of disheveled and, you know, beaten up. He looked a little bit like a street person walking by. And he says to me, is there a problem? How many of you are old enough or will admit you're old enough to have been a fan of Mad Magazine? I love that thing. I was raised on that thing. I couldn't wait for that thing to come out every month. And my favorite part of it was mad, snappy answers to stupid questions. <laughs> it was my Bible as I was growing up. And so we're there looking in this engine, completely perplexed, and this guy says, is there a problem? About 80 things came to my mind, but I stilled my tongue by the grace of God. I said, yeah. We're on a trip going to Toronto. We we're only just half hour down the road. The thing's broken down. And this kind of beat up street looking guy, he looks at me and he says, well, that's interesting. He said, normally I would be going to church right now, but the Lord woke me up this morning and said not to go to church, to walk past my business. And I said to him, well, what is your business? And he said, I have a mechanic shop right around the corner, and I specialize in Ford trucks. He said, can you get this thing around the corner to my... And I said, yeah. And, you know, within less than an hour, he had it running so good, and we made the rest of the trip with no problem. But do you know what brought us out of that particular cave and what brought Elijah out of his cave, as we're going to look at? The still, gentle voice of the Lord. Now, I want to try to carefully qualify something to you. I'm a conference speaker, and I, I, I go to large churches, I go to small churches in between, but I love what David said, that he could not wait to be in the great congregation, because when you get hundreds of people together, thousands of people worshiping God, there is a freedom of synergy, of faith, the Lord meets us, there's freedom for healings, miracles, revelation, all sorts of things. But I want to tell you that's just one side of the coin. The day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came as a mighty rushing wind, that was one side of the coin. But there's another side of the coin that is equally important, and that is you by yourself experiencing the still, gentle voice of the Lord. Are you still alive? You know, it's great when we can get godly counsel from people, encouragement, prophecies. I've seen prophecies have turned people around in corners of their lives, given them hope, future, healing, all sorts of things. But what brought Elijah out of his cave is it says that first there was a mighty wind coming down the mountain, and even rocks were being dislodged. But it says the voice of the Lord was not in that. Then there was a fire upon the mountain. But the voice of the Lord was not in that. There was even an earthquake, but the voice of the Lord was not in that. And then there came a still, gentle breeze. And it says that Elijah came out of that cave, that cave of anxiety, that cave of depression, that cave of hopelessness. And that's when the Lord began to speak to him. And as I said, I love it, our large meetings, whether it's Sunday mornings or conferences, whenever it is, there is such a, an easy dynamic most of the time for the move in the Holy Spirit. But if that's all you're experiencing, you're negating the Father's heart that he wants to speak to you 
as his special son, his special daughter. That's the heart of God. And, you know, one of the things I love about God, and we see this in the Bible, he speaks to people, and it's been my history and everybody I know, that when God speaks to you, he will never say, hey, you, or hey, buddy, or, you know, here in the South, he will never say, hey, Bubba. He calls you by your name because he wants such a personal relationship with you. And again, I love it when the Holy Spirit comes in power as a mighty rushing wind. I live for those moments. But there's something even greater than that, and that's just you alone. It says in the Psalms that the voice of the Lord, it, it, in, in Psalm, uh, oh my gosh, where am I at here? Psalm 29, verses 5 through 6, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon, which were huge, very strong trees they used for building huge places. But the voice of the Lord breaks that. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The world was in chaos, it says in Genesis chapter 1, the first few verses. It was formless and void. Darkness covered everything. But first God spoke. And then he said, let there be light. Psalm 36, verse 9 says, in his light we see light. And when God begins to speak to you, it doesn't matter how much hopelessness there may be, how much fear, how much depression. When he begins to speak, the light of his presence begins to invade. And based upon his heart for you, he begins to draw you out of that. It's God's perfect, unvarying, unstoppable, unquenchable, and unconditional love that casts out fear. And it's great corporately as we're experiencing the love of God. But it can be absolutely life-changing, you alone with the Lord, that getting the treasure of the secret places, as Isaiah talked about. And as I said, others can pray for you, they can counsel you, they can encourage you, they can prophesy over you, they can bless you, they can proclaim over you, they can slap you up the side of the head and say, get a life to you <laughs> in the name of Jesus. But only you yourself can make the decision that in the midst of the tyranny of the urgent, day in, day out, the business of our schedules, only you can make the decision that you're going to spend time with the Lord in prayer, in worship, meditating on the promises of God in the Bible, walk in obedience. Nobody can do that for you. No preacher, no counselor, no prophet. Nobody can do that for you. But yet that is what brought the great man of God, Elijah, out of his cave. And I believe it's the same thing that brings us out of our caves. In Acts chapter 10, it tells the story, and up to this time, in the early church, only the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, have been experiencing the kingdom and salvation. But it says in Acts chapter 10 that Peter, that he was on a journey. And the next day as they were on that journey, they approached the city. Peter went up to a housetop. Now, this is a housetop, not a cave, obviously, but the point is he's by himself. He's not in a conference. He's not in a large prayer meeting. He's by himself. And he's up on that housetop, and it says he was hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and the heavens were open. And that's when he had the vision three times of the Lord lowering down a sheet with animals that we would call non-kosher, unkosher food that Hebrews were forbidden to eat. 
and the Lord saying, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And at that time, there's a knock on the door, and there's some messengers that have come from Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a non-Jew, obviously, and he'd been told by an angel to send to Peter. And so Peter did something that Jewish people just did not do. It was almost forbidden in their culture for a Jewish person to go into a Gentile's house. And when you read the account later on, when Peter arrives at Cornelius' house, there's a huge, huge crowd there, and Peter looks at them and he says, you know it is unlawful for me, a Hebrew, to be at a Gentile's house. But that's when the Holy Spirit began to move. And it's safe to say that you are sitting here today, you can trace back your spiritual heritage, unless you're Jewish, all the way back to what happened to one man praying by himself on a rooftop, listening to God. Because that was the very beginning of the kingdom coming to Gentiles. And today, the gospel is being preached to all the nations because of what one man experienced by himself with the Lord. I am not saying that group prayer meetings are important. I think they're vitally important. There's an authority that comes from praying in unity. But I'm saying for you to make your personal history and come into the song that God has for you. The American poet, Henry David Thoreau, is, he's credited with the quote, most men lead lives of quiet desperation and die with their song unsung. Actually, that's not completely true, even though he's often quoted as saying that. But he did write this in his book, Walden. He said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. But yet, whoever it was, or whenever it was, that added to his quote and said, their songs remain unsung, it is so powerful because I believe that's a picture of not just many unsaved, unchurched people, but even of many Christians. I, I know for a fact there's so many of us that we love Jesus, we've experienced Jesus, we know we're going to heaven, and we count on the blessings and the promises. But yet, to a degree, some of us are living in caves, a cave of anxiety or a cave of depression or a cave of, of hopelessness. It happens. It happens to all of us from time to time. It's a reality. But the problem, as I said, is not the problems. The problem is, are we discerning the voice of the Lord? Are we making room to hear his voice? And I want to tell you, in contrast to what was contributed to Thoreau, you have a song that God wants to raise up out of you. Not just a song rising up out of this church of new worship songs being written and new uh, Holy Spirit endeavors going on and new things happening for, in preaching and teaching and making known the gospel, but you, your life. Jesus never came that you might survive with a grand style. He came that you might have life abundantly. And it's in our testimony of what God does, does in our life, how we overcome the hurts, the pains, the rejections, that's where there's life in it as we testify to the world, not just that Jesus saved, but Jesus has saved me. Jesus has healed me. Jesus has delivered me. Not just the blanket truth, but our testimonies are prophetic because they release the promise of Jesus into people's lives. God does not want 
your song that he has uniquely placed within you to remain unsung. I want to close before we go into ministry with just quoting one scripture and telling one story. And the scripture is Isaiah 30, verse 21. Isaiah said, Your ears shall hear a word behind you, saying, This is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, in life, we have so many decisions, so many questions, so many dilemmas. But God is faithful. The Father knows the plans he has for you. And when you're facing those dilemmas, when you're facing those questions, when you're facing those issues, and sometimes we just feel overwhelmed by the pressure, what if I mess up here? What if I turn this and it's not the right way? I want to tell you God is faithful. You will hear as you seek him a voice saying, turn this way, walk in it, because the Father knows the good plans he has for you. There's a church I've been to many times. I know John and Carol have been there. It's in the south of London, an area called Collier's Wood. It's called Oasis Church. Sam pastors there. And we had a remarkable healing three years ago. We started on a Friday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, that sort of thing. And on the Friday night in the ministry, the Lord gave me a word of knowledge. There's a woman there with great pain, great issues with her stomach, and she was scheduled to have an operation. This was in January. A woman came forward, and this is her story, that starting five years ago, she developed fibroid growths in her female part of her anatomy. And it gotten worse and worse and worse, and she was now scheduled to have an operation in just a few weeks' time in February of that year. And when she had first had developed the fibroids, the doctor said, well, we're not serious, uh, sure this is serious enough to warrant an operation. But then as it began to get worse, they said, well, you know, it's so iffy that there's more of a chance of the operation going bad than, you know, the, the pain and the problem you're in. But then it got worse and worse. She began to constantly be hemorrhaging, bleeding, and she had a very good job, but she lost that job. She had to quit it because she just couldn't work anymore. She couldn't sleep often at night because she was in so much pain and discomfort. She would have to have a woman from the church or a friend of hers come every morning and help her because she just could not function the morning by herself. Her life was miserable. And now, finally, the doctor said, your problem is so severe, we have to operate, despite what, uh, you know, how dangerous it may be. And that operation was just about three weeks away, but she came forward, and then she came Saturday night. She testified when she was prayed. She felt an intense heat in her lower stomach. That night, she didn't take her medicine. She slept the whole night through, the first time in about three or four years. The next day, she felt great, no bleeding whatsoever. She came, gave her testimony Saturday night, but on Sunday morning, halfway through worship, Sam the pastor, he stops worship, brings up the woman, and the woman has this bag about this plastic bag filled with all the drugs and medicine she had to take, pill after pill after pill every day. And she said, I have not taken anything in two and a half days now, or day and a half, however long it is. She said, I am sleeping two nights now perfectly, and I haven't done that in years. All the pain is gone, no bleeding, and even my stomach that was so distended, the swollenness is gone. She said, I'm wearing a dress two sizes smaller than I've been able to wear in years. That just got the attention of all the ladies. <laughs> now, this is a great testimony, but I'm telling you the testimony not because of the healing, because of what she then said. 
She said, when I first began to experience these fibroid growths four or five years ago, the Lord gave me a word, and he said, do not be afraid, I am going to heal you. And despite the fact that it got worse and worse, she hung on to what the Lord had said to her. And she said, I didn't know whether the Lord was going to heal me practically, you know, using medicine and doctors or maybe supernaturally, but I knew the Lord would take me through this. And I'm saying cave. She didn't say that, but she said, the Lord will lead me out of this cave. And that word was fulfilled in her life. She never had to have that operation. You may be here right now, and maybe, you know, you love the Lord, you're confident in the promises of God, but maybe you've been stuck in a cave of anxiety that you just feel like you cannot walk out of. A cave like Elijah was in, it's a place of isolation, it's a place of darkness. But I guarantee you, God wants to speak to you, he wants to lead you, not just in the power of the Holy Spirit, but in the Father's still, gentle voice for your heart. He wants to bring you out of that. I've seen people, we have a documented testimony of a man that was on antidepressants for 25 years that just in one meeting, in one touch of the Holy Spirit, got completely healed. And it doesn't matter how deep, how dark, how dank that cave of depression or fear or even hopelessness may be. And I know for some people that maybe you've been wrestling with suicidal thoughts and things like that. I know that the enemy can come roaring like a lion, as the Bible tells us. But I tell you what, he's a false lion. He's a liar. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when he speaks, it shatters the strongholds of the enemy. And in his light, we see light. Let's stand. It is so important that you as an individual, you as a couple if you're married, you as a family, that you know the song and you're free to sing that song that God has for you. I don't want to spend a lot of time. I'll just quickly mention we have a couple of uh, books and things out there. One is Breakthroughs and, and Breakthrough in Time of Breakdown. And we have that in a CD uh, as well as a book version. But something I'll quickly mention is we've just completed basically a six-year project a DVD that was filmed by a Hollywood cinematographer, uh, and it's uh, drawing parallels between, it's called Life Behind, uh, The Kingdom of God from Behind Bars. It's lessons I've learned from motorcycle riding as they apply to everyday life. And, and we've done it in such a way that not just motorcycle riders, but anybody can take in this teaching. And there's nine different five-minute segments in it where there's a, a, a study booklet within the DVD package, you know, where you can answer questions and pray into things. But there's, there, I, I'm not saying this boastfully, just matter-of-factfully. There's nothing else like this out there. It's a purely uh, parabolic teaching about things in everyday life, how they relate to the kingdom, and it's a lot of fun. The teaching is impeccable. Well, that's just my opinion. Could be wrong. But uh, it's a lot of fun. But... Uh, I just want to go straight into ministry. We're short on time. Uh, John and Chris and I, we've got a, a planes to catch, and we've got to be hustled off to the airport pretty quick. But uh, I, I want to give this without any embarrassment or condemnation. We're all part of the family of God growing up in the grace of God together. 
If you know right now that you've been stuck camping out maybe in a cave of anxiety or a cave of depression or even worse, a cave of hopelessness, I want to ask you to come to the front right now. I believe you're going to begin to experience breakthroughs of the Father's voice in your heart. Just quickly, come to the front right now. If you know you've been stuck in a cave of anxiety, a cave of depression, or a cave of hopelessness, just make your way up to the front very quickly. I'm just going to kick things off, and then I'm going to hand things over to uh, uh, Murray. Do you want me to give it to you in a moment? Or, or, okay. I think there's a few more people you need to come up. This is a time to be aggressive. Push people out of your way if you have to. Jesus said the kingdom suffers violence. Let's all of us, whether you came to the front or you're in the middle or the back of the room, would you just close your eyes right now and hold your hands out to the Lord? And would you proclaim after me, Father God, let's all say this together, Father God, you are a good, good Father. You're a good, good God. You have nothing but the very best for me. You love me so much. You gave me Jesus. And you've promised me that as I seek you, I will hear your voice saying, turn this way. I ask that you would begin a new work within me. Bring me out of my cave. And I thank you, Father, that my past, my past disappointments, my past failures, my past frustrations do not determine my vision for the future. You are my vision. In your light, I see light. I ask that you would begin a new work within me. Would you begin to speak to me? Your still, gentle voice, call me by my name. Lead me out of this cave to sing the song you have created me to sing. Let's just begin to bless them now. Now, we're going to do two things simultaneously. Ministry team, I want you to pray for everybody. But I want Duncan and Kate and Murray and Ash and the leadership team, would you just come right to, uh, come right to the front over here? I just want to pray for you all. And uh, I don't know if, John, if you're still here, but the leadership team, the church, Just stretch out in a line, if you would, and join hands. Just stretch a little bit over this way. So we come over here, uh, Murray and Ash, come over this way. Kathy, just come up over here so we have room to get to you. The leadership team of the church, just hold your hands out to the Lord. Father, I want to thank you for, uh, Lord God, just uh, your goodness sending Duncan and Kate down here 10, 11 years ago to begin this, but I want to thank you for the entire leadership team, Lord. And Father, I bless them, Lord God, that in humility, as they lead the church from strength to strength, from glory to glory, from breakthrough to breakthrough, 
would you release a fresh impartation for healings and miracles, signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. And I pray for a fresh release of prophetic creativity for new strategies, new visions, new things, not just uh, through the leadership, but through the church now. I bless the musicians, the entrepreneurial sorts, people in media, business leaders. I bless you with prophetic strategies. But right now, I bless this team for a radical multiplication of healings and miracles, signs and wonders. Take it, Duncan. Take it in the name of Jesus. Just take it right there to you, Kate, in the name of Jesus. Fire of God upon you. And I said this over Murray Thursday night when just a couple of us rang out, but Murray, the Lord is going to call you to, he's going to cause you to spiritually grow taller. He's going to give you a head up here in Raleigh. And God is going to use you to bring other pastors into Holy Spirit unity. That Murray, you're a peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. You're a Nathaniel. You're a man with a pure heart. And God is going to give you favor with many pastors and leaders of different churches that you never would have imagined here in Raleigh. And God is going to use you in the years to come to raise up fresh movements in prayer and worship and Holy Spirit unity with the body of Christ in Raleigh. And I bless you just to grow taller in the name of Jesus. Fire of God upon you, Mary fire of God to be a peacemaker and bring healing among churches in Raleigh. In the name of Jesus right there. Fire on you. Prophetic fire upon you, Kathy. Fire of God. Prophetic fire. There it is. I just speak an increase to you of prophetic dreams and visions. Fire of God upon you right there. And JT, I feel like the Lord is saying that you're coming into something new. It's like you're going to be an 18-year-old uh, running your first university race on the track team. God is putting fresh strength and energy and creativity within you. And I bless you, JT, to run this race of creativity, of Holy Spirit, prophetic entrepreneurship being released to the people of God. Fire upon you, JT, and unprecedented favor upon you, JT not only in the marketplace, but in the political realm as well. God is going to use you, JT, to influence political leaders in the years to come.